Once again, entry multiples are rising, and it seems the M&A market can't even be slowed by potential macro obstacles like inflation and supply chain turmoil. With Clearwater's multiples heat map now in, we take a closer look at the rocketing TMT sector, how Europe is attracting US investors, and more in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I'm Tim Kimber, producer of the pod, here to host this week's special episode, in which we'll be discussing the latest multiples heat map, recently published by Unquote in association with Clearwater International. Once again, average entry multiples were pushed into record territory in Q3 on the back of a still buoyant M&A market, according to the report's findings. Dealmakers shrugged off concerns about inflation, supply chain constraints and rising COVID-19 cases to propel European PE activity to near record highs in the past quarter. Indeed, 2021 is now set to break all previous records for both volume and value. Total deal value in the first three quarters of 2021 was a whopping 203 billion euros already comfortably exceeding that of any previous full year, while deal volume is on track to hit a new all-time high as well. As of Q3, the average entry multiple over the last 12 months for European PE-backed transactions climbed to 11.8 times. This is a new record, and it follows an unbroken run of five quarterly increases. Looking solely at deals announced in Q3, the average multiple paid in PE-backed deals jumped to 12.4 times versus 11.8 in Q2. But, as always, not all segments of the market fared equally, from hotspots in the Nordic region and the UK uh, to yet another spike in average valuation for TMT assets across Europe. To help us round up the main highlights of the report, we will again be turning to Marcus Archer, uh, managing partner and head of private equity at Clearwater International. After that, unquote reporter Harriet Matthews will be speaking to David Cannon, managing director of KeyBank Capital Markets, to discuss how US buyers have been fueling Europe's red-hot M&A. And finally, Clearwater partners Per Serland and Nathaniel Cooper will call in to share their thoughts on pricing trends for TMT assets. So, without further ado, let's turn to Unquote Editor Greg Gilles, speaking with Clearwater Managing Partner Marcus Archer. Hello, I'm Unquote Editor Greg Gilles, and it is my pleasure to introduce Marcus Archer, Managing Partner and Head of Private Equity at Clearwater International. Welcome back to the podcast, Marcus. Thanks, Greg. Always good to speak. So another quarter, another record set. Deals were up in Q3, as were average valuations pretty much across all geographies and sectors. Uh, but amid that general uptick, what have been the main highlights from Clearwater's point of view? Yeah, the you know the trend continues, doesn't it? So you know I think the whole market, you know whether it's you know our peer group or whether it's the private equity funds or whether it's the diligence prize providers or whether it's the lawyers, um, you know everybody just continues to be um, just phenomenally busy. Um, the highlights that jumped out to me from from that document were some of the some of the trends around regions and sectors were um, a bit surprising, a bit different to normal. So um, I definitely call out the French region overtaking the UK and Ireland for the first time. Our French team have been super busy, but indicative of market where the French business has you know overtaken the the UK market for the first time in terms of deal volumes, which um, is an interesting theme that's that's come out of Europe. 
Uh, second thing I'd call out is the southern region uh, doing the most deals by value. Typically over the, the period of time we've been doing these reports, the southern region has been towards the bottom in terms of valuations and activity and valuations, but um, some much bigger deals and um, some more exciting deals down in the southern regions. That's market recovers has, has driven an awful lot higher valuations being seen in the, in the south region. Um, and sector wise, the tech the tech sector is you know clearly not a blip, and there's an awful lot going on in in TMT. And it's interesting to see the tech sector closing up in industrials and chemicals, not only in terms of deal volumes, but also in terms of deal values. Um, some of that driven by multiples, clearly, but some of that driven by some of the tech businesses that have formed in recent years, growing really, really quickly. And you know the valuations growing both in terms of multiple, but but also profitability of those those businesses too. Um, and the other call out would be looking at the, the themes of multiples over the last six quarters, um, a number of the regions just continue to tick up quarter on quarter on quarter and the multiples getting higher and higher and higher. Um, you know, UK and Ireland would be one of those. The Nordic region would be another one of those. Um, and the French region would be another one of those, um, all of which have been steady rises over the last six quarters in multiples. Um, and the last call out would be some of the quarter sector multiples are just phenomenal. Um, TMT in particular has been hot for ages, but to see an average multiple in a quarter of over 19 times, which we've seen in tech, um, you know, versus um, a significant double digit multiple in the previous quarter is, you know, is just amazing. Um, and looking at the Nordic region, a quarter average multiple there leaping above 18 times, um, you know, it's just phenomenal. And that may be driven by a smaller number of deals on really premium multiples, but um, our tech sector and our Nordic region are seeing, uh, you know, really high levels of competition for their assets, which really are driving prices to a really high level. Um, so there'd be the three or four call outs, Greg, from a Clearwater perspective. Yeah, really interesting. And and obviously in terms of what's behind this, uh, these trends, uh, last time you came on a podcast, you talked about the fact that the high conviction investors were really driving the market and therefore the, the multiple creep. Uh, but you mentioned as well that we could be coming to an inflection point in that regard. Have you seen signs of that where maybe a b broader array of suitors now tend to get a look in on processes? We haven't seen that yet, um, mm. to be honest. Um, I think that conviction investor is a you know it's a phrase that's come to come to appear during the course of this year, um, and there've been a num number of deals done recently by funds that previously wouldn't have seemed to be conviction investors that have won very competitive auction processes to cure secure assets they got excited about. Um, to the you know I think the trend is moving more towards a number of funds becoming very very clear in sectors in which they want to invest. Uh, they're becoming domain experts in those particular sectors of choice. Um, it's a theme which came out of um, the US interview in the HEMAT this year as well, but the US PE funds are certainly becoming domain experts and the UK and European funds are also becoming domain experts, very, very, very focused on areas of tech, very, very focused on areas of pharma and life sciences, uh, very focused on areas around financial services and fintech. Um, and those funds that were previously generous seem to be fine tuning their investment criteria to become domain specialists in the areas in which they really want to invest. Um, and just accepting they're going to have to pay, you know, sometimes 10%, sometimes 30% more than their normal market valuations to secure a platform in those spaces. Um, so I think the word conviction investor or the phrase conviction investor is broadening it out into, you know, generalist firm becoming more domain experts to become conviction in the areas in which they want to invest. Um, and that I think is the thing that's come through in Q3, which is driving some of the high multiples in those sectors that have seen super premium multiples as various investors have gone conviction about the areas in which they want to invest. 
That's interesting. Uh, from your point of view, does that tend to lead to more limited processes in terms of scope, uh, in terms of the number of, of bidders invited, for instance, and, and therefore potentially even quicker processes? That's clearly been a feature this year. So I was wondering if that was feeding into that trend. For those assets that you know tick those boxes, it, you know it definitely it definitely does. Um, okay. And it's not designing a process that is designed to be quicker than normal. It's preparing very well. Um, and again, another phrase that's being used is creating the environment for a preempt, which means if somebody does have real conviction about you know a client of ours, we're ready to take them through a due diligence process really, really quickly and efficiently to get to a conclusion really, really quickly and efficiently. Um, and that tends to mean we're being really, really thoughtful about which funds we show, which assets, um, to make sure we're very familiar with the, the areas which they've got conviction about so we can show them the right assets. Um, and that does lead to narrower rather than wider processes in the main for those particularly good businesses where we can run very competitive process to get good outcomes for our clients with a much smaller number of funds than perhaps we've been marketed to in the past. Okay. And uh, and finally, Marcus, what's your take on deal flow going forward? Uh, maybe a bit anecdotal for now, but we're starting to see some deal announcements perhaps slowing down a little bit, which is quite unusual for Q4. And a few mentions of, of the market being pretty much at capacity in terms of processing more deals. Uh, do you think we reached a peak in early summer and we can now expect the market to maybe take a breath before 2022 rolls in? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting we look at the trends in the you know the chart we've got on the heat map where you know Q1 21 was a big spike it dropped back in Q2 um, you know there's a slight increase in Q3 so it feels like the market's got towards more of a steady tape in terms of you know volumes across all regions um, so the only anomaly really being you know France and the southern region which have seen more of a tick up than the, the other areas um, you know I think the deal announcement volumes you know will be down a little bit um, I think some of that is down to capacity um, and we all experienced a, a period over the summer in particular where we were looking to crack on with that preparation I referred to earlier to get our processes ready to create the environment for a preempt. Um, but the, the due diligence houses in particular were totally stacked out and we just couldn't find diligence teams to do the work that they needed to do in the timeframes that we thought we'd be able to. So a number of those deals that were moving towards September, October completions have moved out to November, December, even January completions, okay. uh, probably because those processes lost a month because the diligence couldn't take place to take the businesses to market. Um, so I think there's an element of that coming through. Um, you know, I would say as we look at you know our world within Clearwater, uh, we have been pitching an awful lot over the last two or three months, which will be Q1, Q2 transactions for next year. Um, and there's always a bit of a lead time between the advisory world pitching and the private equity world seeing the opportunities that we've pitched for and got prepared. Um, and I think a number of our peers will be seeing the same theme of a number of deals to close out before Christmas, which have seen a month or so of delay because of diligence, um, but a lot of pitching and a strong pipeline going into the first half of next year. Um, and it's certainly true if you speak across the, the investor community, um, they've had a good run of you know, either securing new platforms or bolt on for their portfolio companies, but actually their their visibility and their work in progress into the first half of next year is generally lower than where they would like it. And I, I think there's also an element of, you know, the whole of our kind of M&A community just feeling like it's been a very, very busy period for a sustained amount of time since probably last August, September. Um, and as we move into mid-December, I'm expecting a few people to say, we're not going to close this before Christmas, let's close it in January. Um, and let's just give the opportunity for, you know, for all of our people to have a proper break and you know, rest their brains, rest their bodies and come back recharged as we move into the new year. Um, so I think there's two or three regions that reasons that that mean that announcement is just a blip rather than a rather than a longer term trend of you know, going back to previous COVID levels of, of activity. I think there's going to be a lot of activity in Q1 and Q2 next year based on the opportunities that we're seeing coming through from a pitch perspective right now. 
Well, thank you very much for that, Marcus. Uh, pleasure to have you on the podcast as always. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Very interesting to hear that overview of the European market there from Marcus. It's not then such a huge surprise to find US private equity players are increasingly shifting their focus to Europe, especially as competition for domestic assets intensifies. To get some insight into where the attractions lie for American investors, Unquote's Harriet Matthews spoke to David Cannon, Managing Director at KeyBank Capital Markets, Clearwater International's US partner. Here's what he had to say. Joining me now on the podcast is David Cannon, Managing Director of KeyBank Capital Markets, Clearwater International's US partner. David, thank you very much for calling in. Happy to be here. Thank you, Harriet. Great. So, David, according to the latest multiples heat map research, US buyers snapped up European assets worth 10.6 billion euros in Q3. And this represents more than 15% of Europe's overall transaction total by value and nearly 9% of deals by volume. Did that surprise you at all? And can you tell us a bit more about the factors driving that shopping spree from across the pond? Sure. You know, it's, it's not really a surprise. U.S. sponsors are aiming to deploy record amounts of capital. They have broad mandates, and I think they tend to view Europe and the U.K. as a little bit less expensive uh, and maybe an opportunity for them to find uh, unique situations to invest. For some sponsors, there's a view that they're able to pursue deals in the same verticals that they would focus on in the U.S., but the European markets might be a little bit less expensive as well as a little bit less competitive. Some sponsors with experience in Europe believe that they can actually be more aggressive than some of the regional competitors and are able to move more quickly through diligence and and potentially acquire assets uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. Furthermore, once, once they own a European asset that has been run more regionally, they are often able to bridge that with a U.S. asset and make it more of a global platform. And so I think uh, sponsors are, are really interested in, in finding opportunities like this. Typically, they've tended to, to want to own a U.S. asset and then go look for assets in Europe or the U.K. Um, but we're finding that some sponsors are now looking to Europe to make that first acquisition. Um, and uh, it provides a great opportunity for them to then bridge the gap back to the U.S. Mm, right. Interesting. And within that, are there any specific European markets that stand out as beneficiaries of this attention from the U.S.? I, I think the U.K. tends to be the largest beneficiary of U.S. Invest, US investment. It is most similar to the U.S. It doesn't present a language barrier. And furthermore, the UK has a more similar regulatory framework to that of the US uh, and tends to be more receptive to private equity transactions than some of the other European countries. The, the, U, the UK represented, I believe, over a third of total new deals and add-ons add during the first three quarters of 21. And I, I think in general, US sponsors tend to find doing deals in continental Europe culturally a little bit more difficult as compared to the UK. 
I see. And in your view, is that surge of incoming US interest a significant factor behind the evolution of entry multiples on this side of the pond? Yes, that has likely been responsible for driving multiples higher. As more capital chases deals and multiples have continued to expand in the US, it is only logical to expect that the trend would carry across the Atlantic. Sponsors in the US are flush with capital and constantly looking for a unique angle that will allow them to pursue and hopefully win an asset. And as the buyout market has become so competitive, many firms are actually unwilling to engage meaningfully in a process unless they feel that they have a differentiated position. And once they've established an ability to differentiate themselves, they are often willing to work faster and even try to preempt a process. I see, that certainly all makes sense. And finally, what are some of the challenges that you see these buyers facing in trying to source deals in Europe? I think one challenge is access. As processes continue to migrate to more limited buyer sets, there is continued risk for sponsors that they may not be aware or may not get access to an asset that's being sold. So having access to local bankers who have an understanding of what companies are going to be coming to market ahead of time can really provide a tremendous advantage. Further, U.S. firms looking to invest in Europe, having a partner on the ground who understands the local deal-making environment and and other regulatory challenges is, is incredibly important. For example, our partnership with Clearwater has proven to be tremendously valuable to our clients on both sides of the Atlantic. We're each able to extend our reach, tap into local markets, gain unique insights into companies and buyers. And that would be impossible without an entrenched local presence. Mm, Absolutely. Well, David, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. And thanks very much again for sharing your insights. Happy to do it. And thanks for having me on. Turning now to our sector focus, we examine the Technology, Media and Telecom sector, or TMT. These assets broke new ground in Q3, with an average entry multiple of 19.1 times EBITDA, versus 11.6 times in Q2. On a last 12-month basis, this meant that average multiples in the sector jumped to 14.3 times, up from 12.7 in Q2 making it the joint hottest sector for European M&A alongside healthcare. To discuss this, Greg Gill turned to Per Serland and Nathaniel Cooper, two TMT-focused partners at Clearwater. I am now joined by Clearwater International Partners, Per Serland and Nathaniel Cooper. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, So... One of the obvious takeaways for, from the data this quarter is that on a last 12-month basis, the average multiple in the TMT sector stood at 14.3 times EBITDA, which is the joint highest with healthcare. Uh, but even more strikingly, there was a massive spike to 19.1 times on average for, for the sector when looking at deals just done in, in Q3 alone. Uh, does that tie in with what you see on the ground and, and what transactions in particular stood out for you in recent weeks that sort of highlight this trend of just a massive spike in, in multiples? Yeah, so, so I think that trend, we are seeing that on the ground for sure. Um, 
and, and particularly in key three, I mean, one of the things we've noticed, um, which is not directly related to multiples, is that all the service providers are sold out. So the CDD providers, the lawyers, um, anyone that you need, you know, warranty insurance is totally sold out. And I just think that just points to the strength of the market. I would say it's also, I mean, some of it is, of course, driven by the fact that there are a lot of these, a lot of software businesses that are being sold at the moment. And for for a lot of them, they, they don't necessarily have very high EBITDA multiple or EBITDA margins. So they, mm-hmm. they tend to be sold at a revenue multiple. So we sold a business called WebShipper uh, to Enship, which is backed by uh, Malin uh, Equity and Francisco Partners. And I mean, they purely focus on, on revenue growth and scalable margins over time. So initially that, that EBITDA margin or EBITDA multiple just becomes very, very high. Um, and we, we see that with some of the other software cases that we're, we have going on at the moment. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's right. And I think also if you take a look at the, uh, you know, the sort of the, the home of capitalism, uh, well, not the home of it, but the current champion of capitalism in the US, and you look at what's happening in the tech markets there, um, particularly around software, what, what, what Pierre was saying is that, you know, some of these software businesses are listed that with, with decent growth and decent prospects, you know, they're trading at 40 times revenue. Now, that hasn't quite hit the sort of, you know, private company market, I think, in Europe and the mid-market. But there's just a little bit of that wash coming through, and it really goes to what Pierre's saying, is that people are prepared to pay for future profit um, not necessarily high margins now, provided you have growth. Um, and if you don't have growth, it becomes, um, you know, much more difficult. And our, um, you know, our US partner, um, KeyBank, they have just, they release a private company SaaS benchmarking um, survey every every year. And the, and the most recent one's just come out. And it has really just highlighted that relationship between growth and getting a revenue multiple. And, you know, if you don't have that, you're not getting a 10 times revenue multiple, you're getting a four times revenue multiple. That's interesting. So I was, I was going to ask you how bifurcated it is to segment in terms of uh, processes and in terms of it, therefore pricing. Is is it all quality and, and therefore everything is expensive or is there a bit of a spread? And I think that tells me that uh, perhaps there is obviously clear kind of candidates that, that, that can call for these higher multiples and, and others might not. But my point being, do these assets that, that maybe don't display that type of growth, uh, that type of growth trajectory, do they tend to come to market or are vendors just kind of holding on for now and, and, and waiting for maybe a, a, a better time to bring these to market? I think, I think some of them are coming to market and I think some of what is driving the value for those type of businesses that are not growing as much as the ones we just discussed is probably that you also see a lot of these listed strategic buyers are doing extremely well on the on the stock market and being valued at very high multiples and so they're able to to acquire businesses at higher multiples as well and still but still as long as they can acquire uh, businesses below their the the multiple that they're listed at themselves they're Mm -hmm. still building value for the shareholders. So I think that that is definitely a trend that we've seen that the, some of these compounders, as we call them, that are listed entities that tend to buy, maybe could be verticalized software, um, 
and 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 they they at the moment they seem to be paying higher multiples than yeah just going a year back okay yeah that's right i mean and, and just in terms of that bifurcation you know i mentioned that um that that SAS benchmarking survey that that we do and you know it's pretty clear so you know the median the median revenue multiple for a SAS business that's growing at 15 percent is 5.5 times the median multiple for a business that's growing at 80 percent is 15.7 times revenue and and there's a spread you know between that as well so um yeah it's pretty it's pretty clear that there's different prices for different assets so it's actually quite discerning and uh, yeah yeah just i think discerning is a great word because they you know buyers are discerning and of course people are bringing a lot of stuff to market because they're like we can sell us and get a great price but that's not necessarily true if you don't have the right business and then, and, then, and you can say it's it's fair that they're valued much higher right if you're if you have recurring revenue and you're able to almost double your annual recurring revenue i mean you should be traded at much higher multiples than a 10% growth business. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and Pierre, you mentioned um, obviously strategic listed, uh, specifically listed strategic players. Um, do you see any sort of, uh, again, bifurcation or differentiation in, in what tends to drive these uh, these big increases for the best businesses? Is it mostly these strategics or is it driven by PE acquires as well? Uh, and, and both groups being kind of equally happy to push very hard in process to, to secure the assets that they want? I, I would say at the moment, uh, it's probably PE buyers. Mm, I mean, they, they, they definitely see the possibility of listing these you can say software assets or tech assets, uh, maybe within two or three years, uh, or maybe even shorter. And and because the IPO market is so interesting, that's driving, you could say, value for PE buyers. Strategic buyers still are also very, I mean, performing very strongly. So they'll of course also acquire businesses where they have synergies. Um, but 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 I think it tends to be that. Private equity can act faster, and and we'll we we actually see that some of the strategic buyers are imitating uh, private equity in order to kind of structure the transactions to make to give the sellers the same type of upside uh, as if they were would sell to a private equity. I, I think that speed thing is really important because I think private equity have a massive advantage currently because of the speed that they can operate at. And so I think unless you're getting a very, very big premium for synergies, you know, running a sell-side process, I think clients are kind of not really prepared to wait that extra two months to kind of bring that trade trade buyer along. But they're still very much there on processes for sure. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, and uh, finally, as, as a passing question, do, do you expect that state of play and, uh, and the fact that the best TMT assets uh, come in such a premium, uh, do you expect to, that to continue as a feature of the market into, let's say, Q4 and, and, and further into next year? Uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because we, uh, on the Uncode side, uh, in terms of deal flow, are starting to see other, perhaps more traditional sectors uh, coming back actually quite strong in terms of deal flow. Some, uh, you know, consumer, industrials, some of these assets, obviously not all. Uh, so I was wondering if perhaps P would start looking a bit further afield and, and ease some of that competitive tension, especially the P players that traditionally have been more generalist, that they just shifted a little bit more towards CMT, let's say, in the healthcare in, in recent months for obvious reasons. Do you expect that to, to uh, recalibrate a little bit down the line? 
I think like a really interesting thing that we've noticed is we, we've sold a lot of digital transformation businesses. Now these are, they are tech businesses because what they're doing is providing technology services. But I think because those best software businesses are so expensive, we're seeing private equity looking for slightly more affordable areas of the market. Yeah, <clears throat> and I would say that you, you you still have all these highly specialized private equity buyers that where they need to acquire tech assets. So 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 even though you have other sectors performing well, you still have these specialized private equity group that need to focus on tech. And and then and and I think you would always have also the traditional piece. They'll still continue to look at tech because it's, it's such an interesting area and where you still expect growth and also growth at a higher rate than in other sectors. And then combined with having recurring revenue and, and typically these assets are easier to scale. So I think that that also in the future would drive, you could say, private equity uh, to look at these type of assets. Um, but but of course, the one thing that is they are probably a little bit more sensitive or tech assets are more sensitive to interest rate increases because to, especially with these um, software businesses where a lot of the, the earnings will be in the future. So you, you would end up how much how long time can you wait until you start receiving dividends or earnings from from the investments. So there there all there's of course there can be some impact on on tech assets as well. Very, very interesting. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on on that for sure. Uh, and thank you very much to you both for, for dropping on the, the podcast today. Pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very interesting stuff there. Well, that's it for this Q3 edition of the Multiples Heatmap podcast. You can head over to Encore.com via the link in the description to download your copy of the full report or find it on Clearwater International's website. It includes detailed breakdowns of pricing and activity trends for Q3 2021, quarterly pricing movements across the past six quarters, and qualitative deep dives on the TMT sector and the influx of USPE buyers in the European market, uh, highlighted during the pod. But before you go, please be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back soon with another episode, but in the meantime, happy investing.